My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Amen. two extremes in terms of Bible prophecy. On the one hand, um, there are those who take everything that happened in the Old Testament and spiritualize it to the point where there's nothing remaining about the theocratic nation of Israel. And I, I tend to agree with there's no theocratic nation of Israel, but there is a nation of Israel and the people of Israel, and there are promises uh, attached uh, uh, to them and to them in the land that I can't get past. Um, the Reformed, uh, modern Reformed faith is more along those lines, but if you read the older Reformers, there's always been this thread of there will probably be a uh, return of uh, the remnant of Israel to the land. But in some of the more modern commentaries, you'll see things like, um, and someone brought this up to me this morning, about the uh, two sticks of, of, uh, of Israel uh, uh, being made into one stick, and there be a, a, a spiritualization of this to where that's just the Jewish and Gentile uh, church united, um, and and they go to they they'll, they'll take this and they'll go over to Ephesians, which does clearly speak about the barrier wall of division between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. And so, uh, without neglecting that truth, I, I do believe there are still promises explicitly to the land that we. That we see, and they're very clearly, and 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 they're based not on our opinion. We're people of the book. They're based on what does the scripture say? And I, this passage in particular, beginning at verse twenty-four, is based on the Davidic covenant. Now, I'm always amazed at how things work out in the providence of God in terms of what we're studying last last Friday morning at our men's study where we're going through the larger catechism. Is that question 34 that we were on, Matt? Do you remember? Right around there. Yeah. Right around 34 in the larger catechism. Mike, do you remember? Definitely. If it was 34. Um, 
and, and again, I will put a little advertisement in for that uh, Bible study um, because it, it's, it is about, it's not just the catechism, it's taking all the proof references for these uh, particular doctrines and we read them all and we talk about them and how they apply. And in that question, we talk about the covenant of word. There are two covenants in 33 and 34 of that. Uh, it's in your hymnal, so you can be precise if you want to look at it. Uh, it speaks of two overarching covenants. There's just two overarching covenants. One is the covenant of, of works, which was made with Adam and Eve, in which they fell, and immediately in Genesis 3.15 is instituted the covenant of grace. And then it talks about, in the Catechism, how that covenant of grace is administered in different ways at different times in the life of Israel. And one of those ways, and I don't think it's specifically mentioned, but it, it jumped in my mind immediately, is uh, the Davidic covenant, which was made with uh, David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And that's what we're looking at. When we see passages like this one, my, it says, My servant David shall be king over them. It doesn't mean that David is going to be reincarnated. It means his heir, the heir to his throne, is going to be their king. This is the covenant. Um... Chapter 7. Uh, I won't read the whole thing. Well, I'll begin at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. This is David's descendant who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. Now that's talking about the... the uh, the descendants of David before Jesus. But nonetheless, there's this promise to the Davidic line that their kingdom will be forever. And that, and we know the history of the kings of Judah who are in that line, uh, and the kings of uh, Israel uh, who are in that line. We know the severe discipline that they faced. And we know that the Lord Jesus, the son of David, the ultimate son of David, was disciplined not for his sins, but for ours. So this is literally fulfilled in him as well. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That is a 
unconditional covenant with David and his descendants that is never fully fulfilled until Jesus comes as the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Christ, Jesus Christ. It, Christ is simply the, the Greek word for Messiah. Jesus is the king. He is the Messiah. So that is the reign that Ezekiel is prophesying about when he says, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. Who is the good shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am, I am the good shepherd who lays down the life uh, for my sheep. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. And then in the very next verse, it says, they shall dwell in the land that I gave my servant Jacob. Now, is that the land of uh, Zion in heaven? Is that the heavenly Jerusalem? The context doesn't lend itself to that in the whole in the whole of Ezekiel. I, I know there are many Reformed people who hold hold to that, and they want to see uh, nothing uh, of uh, the land in there. But I think um, I think differently, and um, again, that's why I'm so supportive of ministries that that specifically seek to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. I did a little um, afternoon research on just how extensive uh, that has become. I was I was very pleasantly surprised and encouraged. There are over. 350 organizations in the land of Israel right now specifically devoted to evangelizing Jewish people. So much so that the government is alarmed by the number of conversions. It's gone from 15,000 uh, per year average to the last several years to over 30,000 per year. And at the end you know, if you talk to Stephen Atkinson about the history of the mission to the Jews in Israel, in 1948, there were simply three uh, Jewish background believers. So if you think about those numbers, that's, uh, that's super encouraging in terms of what is happening. And that makes this not just some academic exercise, but something we can rejoice over and be excited about uh, supporting because the promise is God's going to restore these people. And again, the, the question, and I, and I also learned that uh, my question has always been, who's a Jew? But there's actually a Hebrew expression that they always ask themselves, who's a Jew? Who is a Jew? Well, the answer is to all those questions is God knows and God keeps track. And he is the one bringing this about. Uh, verse 25 makes it clear uh, that he is, uh, he is going to gather his people in the land for the purpose of the reign of David. And, this, and that being the Lord Jesus, the <coughs> ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. 
Um, I, uh, I, uh, dispensational, if you're familiar with the dispensational eschatology, I find it, I find it deeply disturbing because it believes that the Jewish people are going to be gathered into the land as they have been in 1948, only to await total annihilation uh, at the Battle of Armageddon. And I, I, I always cringe when I, whenever I hear that, and, and I think this is not this is not the promise of God for the Jewish. His promise to His people is that He's going to be their Lord and the Son of David. The, the uh, David, it says, my servant David shall be their king, and they will uh, they will uh, enjoy the blessings of the gospel in the land. Um, apart apart from submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, Judaism is no different than any other false religion. And I'll just say that, matter of fact, a Jew who trusts in his own righteousness, his own ability to keep ritual laws, is lost. The Apostle Paul said this over and over in the, in the book of Philippians. He gives his testimony, his pedigree. He said, there was no one who ever excelled in Judaism further than I did. And yet, I count it all. And he uses the strongest language. And I even shudder to use the language in the pulpit, the literal translation. He calls he calls it dumb. We, we I would probably use another word. It would be the right translation. He says all that religious righteousness that I trusted in is dumb in comparison to the gospel. Uh, if you if you're going to claim that you're a Jew and you were right have righteousness according to law, I want to tell you I was a rabbi and I had it all figured out. And as for the external righteousness of the law, I performed it all perfectly, which is an amazing accomplishment. And yet I count it all as dumb, apart from the righteousness of Christ. The covenant, the Davidic covenant, is the same covenant as as the covenant in verse twenty six, the covenant of peace. Um, he says, "I will make um, David my servant will be their servant forever." In verse twenty six, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting. Uh, covenant. And then there is again the promise to multiply them in the land. I'm, I'm grateful that we've gotten to this place in Ezekiel because it it, it was uh, it's very uh, uh, emotional and difficult as Jay <coughs> said you and, and I experienced to just talk about wrath and judgment. Wrath and judgment. And that's, that's the whole book of Ezekiel up, up until the switch and, and uh, uh, I think chapter 34, there's all of a sudden a turn. And it's all about God's gracious dealings with his people. The gospel is good news. When 
only when you understand the bad news. The bad news is that we've been, we were born in trespasses and sin. We are by nature children of wrath. We, we um, are by our own nature in rebellion against God, in cosmic rebellion, and as a result, we have earned his wrath. But God has promised to those who return to him in repentance and faith that he will give us peace. And that peace is the peace that only the Messiah can bring, that only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring through his sacrifice of himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All through the prophets, including Ezekiel, we'll see more of these promises in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. You see these incredible promises of peace and the lion and the lamb lying down together and, and they're not going to hurt or destroy again in my holy mountain. I mean, there's a tendency to push all that back into um, the eternity uh, by some, but there's also uh, an understanding of that, 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 that God will, um, through the proclamation of the gospel, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, bring about a great revival and renewal on the earth before he finally destroys it. We know the final end, 1 Corinthians 15, is clear that, uh, that Jesus will come and he will uh, create a new heaven and new earth and the dead in Christ will rise and, um, and we know the order of events at the final ending. But what we don't know is all the things before then. He will set them in the land and multiply them, and he will set their set my sanctuary in their midst forever. God's sanctuary will be in the midst of Israel forever. And I would I would argue based on the Apostle Paul's argument through Romans, the one, uh, those who truly come to put their faith in Christ are true, true Jews. Romans chapter two cannot be more clear. He who is a true Jew is one, not one who is outwardly a Jew by circumcision, but the one who's a true Jew is one who's circumcised in the heart. So all of us are people of the book. All of us have been incorporated into the Israel of God. Our hymn book is so full of uh, hymns about marching to Zion and and uh, uh, giving glory to God and the, the eternal rest and uh, on, we're standing on Jordan's stormy banks and we're looking on the on the other side of Canaan and that spiritual fulfillment is is certainly the most important thing that we can lay hold of and uh, we need to never lose sight of that glorious truth that the Jerusalem which is above is free and that she is our mother. And God's sanctuary is in our midst. What is God's sanctuary? You're in it right now. How about that? <coughs> You're in the gathered worship of God. God's sanctuary is wherever God's people gather 
to worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, I think I have a long reference written down. Let's find it first. I have Second Corinthians six, but I think it's no, it is Second Corinthians six. Second Corinthians six. And we're and uh, we're. Jay and I were talking about how, how we're going to go through the temple <laughs> at the end of this. It's, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of detail about, the, uh, about Ezekiel's temple and there's a lot of things to talk about about it. The temple and sanctuary are, are synonyms. But just note this. It's in 1 Corinthians 3. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. It's also in 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked, verse 14, with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Um, does that sound familiar to the text that we read? It should. We must understand this as well. Um, at the end of the day, the book of Revelation says there's no more temple in heaven. There is no temple in heaven. For the Lord and his people are the temple. God is in our midst. Is there going to be a great building on the Mount of Olives uh, described in Ezekiel 40 through 48? Jay's going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, God fulfills prophecy all through all through the New Testament ways I wouldn't think. You know, I could quote numerous examples of, of New Testament declaring prophecy to fulfill fulfilled in a way that is it really fulfilled? For example, Peter's sermon. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that the moon is turned to blood. He says it's fulfilled, so it's fulfilled. Not the way I would want it to see it fulfilled, but to say more than what the scripture says is an error. This is what we want to do. We want to say what the scripture says. But I would also say this to my reformed brothers who, who want to spiritualize everything, be careful. Because God is his own interpreter. And he is the one who will ultimately make it plain because it is his word. Um, God will be glorified forever. And there, there are great joy is that we get to be in the midst of that temple if we are children of God, if we have put our faith and trust in him. We can know the joy of fellowship with the Lord and his people forever. And there is no greater hope that we could ever possibly have, and there's no greater hope uh, for the nations. 
the Jew first, and the Greek. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here to um, open your word. Father, it is marvelous, and there are many things that are difficult for us to understand, and we don't see them fully. But the things that are clear and plain are ultimately all that matters. And it's clear to us that your desire is to call a people for yourself from among the Jewish people, from among the nations. And that's what you're doing. And you're glorifying yourself. And it is truly amazing to be a part of. So bless us tonight as uh, we've heard your word read and applied. And fill us with joy and confidence that you will bring it all to pass. And not one word of it, one letter of it, will fall to the ground without being fulfilled. And we thank you for your incredibly, exceedingly great promises. In Jesus' name, 